Good morning, Springbrook. Welcome to the house of the Lord for worship. We are so delighted to be with you this morning. I want to wish a very happy Father's Day to the dads in the room. Those of you who are not in the room but are joining us online, welcome to you as well and happy Father's Day. Um, I want to remind you, as always, that we have online hosts who are available for you all throughout the service who would love to answer your questions and would love to pray with you. So use that request prayer button anytime throughout the service. Um, they love to answer your questions about who we are, what we believe, and what we're doing here. We want you to feel connected to what God is doing in this place and in this community, um, regardless of where you are today. So please engage in the chat throughout the service and participate in what the Lord is doing in this place. Well, I would love to invite you to stand as you are able, in body or in spirit, for our call to worship, which comes from Ephesians chapter 3. And it says this, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to start off with a song that we have sung a number of times, singing that there is joy in the house of the Lord. And when we sing those words, we are not talking about a place or a building. We are talking about the people of God. We, God's people, are the house of the Lord. And indeed, this morning, there is joy in the house of the Lord. Let's lift our voices together. Oh, we shout out your 
Continue to worship with us as we teach you this new song of worship, singing a thousand hallelujahs to the Lamb who is worthy to receive it. Glory taught the stars to shine. 
scripture reading for today comes from John chapter 6. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's just come off of a time of teaching them about communion right after feeding the 5,000, doing some incredible miracles. But he's teaching them some pretty hard things. And a number of people start to turn away. John 6, starting in verse 68, says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom shall we go? 
we're going to sing this next song, and it's really familiar to us. And sometimes when we've sung something a lot of times, the words can go past us without us really realizing what we're saying. Um, I can be guilty of that, especially because this is my job, <laughs> to sing these songs. Um, and I, the words can go past me without really penetrating into my heart. And we're going to sing this line that says, My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. And this week as I was preparing to come and be with you today, to come before the Lord, that line, my one, my one, one defense. Lord, to whom shall we go? We have no other defense. We have no other hope in this world except for Jesus Christ, our righteousness. So we're going to sing out, we're going to confess this morning our need for him. And maybe this morning... You're like those disciples who are standing at a crossroads where you're deciding whether to continue to follow Jesus. You're deciding whether it's worth your time to keep coming to church. Maybe that question can encourage your heart today. That Jesus is your one defense. Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you. Let's sing this out together.
you we depend on you for everything we depend on you for our next breath for the next beat of our hearts we depend on you to sustain this life that we have and so we confess that often we forget our dependence on you and we we fall into striving we fall into believing that we can be good enough on our own and we exhaust ourselves trying Father, some of us are really really tired from trying to be enough on our own from believing that somehow we can we can do enough we can be enough we can prove ourselves we can make enough money we can have enough success a healthy enough family. And we're tired. We're tired from striving. Father, thank you for this truth that actually we can't, we can't be good enough on our own. Lord, we need you. On our own, we are. We are restless until we find our rest in you. We are hopeless until we find our hope in you. And so I pray over each person in this room, each story represented, each person who has found us online, whether today or someday in the future watching this service, Father, you know exactly what you're going to accomplish here. And I pray that we would be able to rest today. We would find peace in the fact that we can never be enough. And thank goodness for that, that we can rest in our need for you in our dependence on you. Father, I lift up this day that we recognize our fathers. And I know 
this day brings a lot of joy for many as we recognize those, those fathers and father figures, both our biological dads and the friends and spiritual fathers in our lives who have blessed us and trained us and discipled us. Father, we thank you for them and we honor them. And we also recognize that today can, can sting for those who had a great dad who's not here anymore and they miss them. For those who had a dad who didn't show up the way he should have and who grieved that. For those who had a dad who showed up in ways that he shouldn't have and they carry that pain with them. Father, you know our hearts. Thank you that you are the perfect father. You don't ask us to hide our grief from you. You don't ask us to hide our pain. We can actually bring it all both the joy and the grief, you can bear all of it. So we bring all of it to you, the complexity and the goodness and the beauty and the joy and the celebration and the grief that this day carries in it. Father, over each heart, will you just speak your comfort and your love and your peace today with wherever, with wherever we are. And Holy Spirit, again, we acknowledge our dependence on you as we come to open your word today. In and of ourselves, we could never understand or apply this. So we need you to open our eyes that we might see, our ears that we can hear, our hearts that we can be receptive to you. Will you soften us, soften our hearts that we might receive what you have for us today. May this all be honoring and glorifying to you, we pray in Christ, matchless and holy and perfect and beautiful name. Amen. And you may be seated. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> hey, we are so glad uh, you are with us this morning. If you are new to Springbrook, uh, we want to extend a special welcome to you. Thank you for being with us this morning. If you're watching online, uh, we're glad you're with us um, as well. If you are watching online, there's a place for you to connect an online connection card. I would love to know that you are with us this morning. If you're in person, uh, you've got a connection card that's in your chair. Please take a moment to, uh, to fill that out and uh, let us know that you were uh, with us this morning. And happy Father's Day to all the dads. And so this is a great day to celebrate if you're a dad. Some of us uh, have children and we can celebrate Father's Day. Some of us don't have children. Some of us have our dads. Some of us don't have our dads. And so it's kind of a mixed bag uh, when it comes to celebrate Father's Day. But we do have a Heavenly Father that loves us. And so we can celebrate that today. Amen. And so uh, guys, if uh, you are with us this morning uh, out in the lobby after the service today, you can stop by and pick up uh, any one number of those uh, free gifts that we have for you out in the lobby. Uh, I love beef jerky. I think most guys do. So we got some beef jerky out there. I got a camping knife out there if you're into camping. You want a utility knife? We got some nice tools out there, and then uh, and we've also got some devotions. And so if you want a pen or a little bookmark for you, I'll be sure to pick one of those up. And uh, if your dad's not with you, you want to bring a gift, then you can pick one of those up uh, as well. But we want to thank you for spending this day with us as we celebrate uh, Father's Day and continue our series uh, through Hebrews 
Uh, this is a picture of a t-shirt I got from my kids yesterday. Dear Dad, great job. We're awesome. <laughs> they are awesome kids. I, I thought I was going to be awesome, but they can be awesome. And so I thought that was pretty cute. So uh, hopefully you feel special today um, if you're a dad. Hey, we have, uh, this is the last day to pick up uh, barbecue. Uh, so you need to get those orders in today. It's a great Father's Day gift if you haven't picked up a gift for your dad. This would be a great, I, we've got some already, but hey, we can always use more barbecue in our house. And so uh, if you have not placed your order yet, uh, you'll want to, today is the deadline. And so next Sunday, if you haven't paid for your barbecue, you can pay for that when you pick it up, but all orders are going to be filled um, next Sunday. And so if you have paid for it, if you have placed an order, please pick it up by next Sunday or please make arrangements with Pastor Matt because by the time we get into the next week and the following week, if you haven't picked it up yet, <laughs> it might go. And so be sure to uh, pick up your orders uh, uh, next week. Um, our seniors are going to be getting together next Tuesday. If you're over 55, they're going to be getting together for a dinner and a movie. I think it's $7. They're going to be meeting right here. So if you want to know more information about that, uh, just visit our website. And then uh, we have board game night coming up next Saturday. And so if you're into board games, uh, we have a variety of ages. Um, guys and gals come together for, uh, for board games. And so if you're into board games, uh, we'd love an opportunity to have you uh, come out for that. It's been really exciting to see how many new families we've connected uh, through our game night. So if you want to know more, again, uh, visit our website. And then last, I just want to let you know that Springbrook Church is now uh, connected to the YouVersion Bible app. And so if you use the YouVersion Bible app, if you're accustomed to using reading plans, uh, I want to encourage you to, uh, to log into your YouVersion Bible app and connect with Springbrook Church. It's an opportunity for us to get connected. Um, we're going to have an opportunity to read some Bible reading plans together. And so uh, if you want to know more information about that, um, just go to our website. Or you can, if you've got your device on you right now, just you can hold that up to your screen or you can hold it up to the screen there and it'll automatically uh, populate your device for you. But I want to encourage you to get connected as we read and study God's Word together. It's a great way for us to be able to uh, encourage one another on our journey, especially as we're moving through uh, Hebrews. Uh, we're continuing our Journey of Faith series. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because we can have faith in anything. I mean, every one of us operates in a sense of faith. You know, I've got, when I get in my car and I'm driving my 5,000-pound vehicle down the road and i got another 5,000-pound vehicle coming at me, I've got faith that everybody's going to stay on their right side of the line, right? <laughs> so, so that's something we, we have faith in. And then when the car passes us, whew, then i got another one. And so we operate in faith and trust that everybody's going to respect those boundaries, right? You know, when you sat down in your chair this morning, you had faith that that chair was going to hold you up. Now, you, you didn't think about it, but you just trusted. You had faith in that chair. Funny story, one time I was using that as an illustration, and the guy I was talking with, they were wood chairs, leaned back, he goes, oh, these chairs aren't going to break, and it broke on him. <laughs> I said, see? So it doesn't always work. You know, we, have, we put our faith in all kinds of things. Uh, last week, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, we got to look at the fact that as the result of our faith, of our confidence in who we are in Christ. We can draw near to God. We can stand firm in our confession. And we can encourage one another in love and in good works as we await the day for Christ's return. And so our faith is in Christ. It is steadfast, it's firm, and it is sure. Today we're in Hebrews chapter 11, which begins with the definition of faith. And it follows up with some examples of radical obedience that you would expect to see in the life of someone that has great faith. You know, the, wording, the working definition for faith is this. It is the assurance of things that are hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance 
of things that are hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. That word assurance is reflective of substance. Our faith is made up of things that we hope for. And so it's the essence of what we believe. The assurance is the substance. It's what's made up. It's, it's tangible. It's something that we hold on to. And conviction is the evidence. It's the proof of our faith. And so if you get convicted of a crime in a court of law, it's proven that you were guilty or not guilty. And so conviction is, is tangible. It's, this is tangible proof of our faith. That It's the assurance of things that are hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. It's tangible. Hebrews 1.3 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of the old, they received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You know, we are stepping out in faith that God is the creator of all things. Everything that we believe is hinged on the reality that there's a creator. There's a God who loves us and, and wants a relationship. And we, we take that by faith. The alternative to that is, is there's no purpose for our life, that we're just random beings and there is no purpose or meaning to life. You know, there's a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an, to be an Atheist. And I, it's interesting when you talk to people about matters of faith that many people believe in a creator, but they don't understand the relationship part of the creator and how to have a relationship with him through Christ. You know, we believe by faith that God created the world and that he wants a relationship with us. And the people of old in the Old Testament, as you read through the Old Testament, their condemnation, their, 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 they gained their approval because of their faith. And so their commendation was the fact that they were people of faith, and so it was credited to them as righteousness. It saved them. You see, in the Old Testament, people were saved not because of a relationship with Christ. They were saved by their faith, that God was the creator, that he did have a plan for them, and, and, they, and they were saved by the, their faith, and they're living out and putting into practice being obedient to those laws. And so their faith saved them. That was their commendation. For us today, we're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. And so both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're saved by faith. They were saved by keeping the law. Today, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. In both the Old and the New Testament, our faith is in the Word of God. And that is linked to our hope. And our hope leads to radical obedience. Our faith is what, where we place our hope. We, we know that God's word is true. Our hope is in that. And as a result of that, we live our lives differently than the world. You know, our faith leads to hope, and hope leads to a radical obedience. As you read through Hebrews 11, we're going to be in Hebrews 11 this morning. And so if you brought your Bible with me, I, with you, I'd encourage you to turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to read through um, Hebrews 11 this morning, and we're going to look at some examples of radical obedience to faith. And if you're watching with us online, uh, there's a place for you to click that Bible tab uh, down at the bottom. If you got the Version Bible app, uh, that will open up there for you as well. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we see some examples of radical faith. Beginning in uh, verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was through which was commended as righteousness. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through faith, he, though he died, he still speaks. And so Abel 
gave gifts as a priority. He gave sacrificially his best lamb. And, Abel, and Cain just threw out some wheat. And so Abel brought a sacrificial gift before God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Beginning in verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, it was commended to him as having pleased God. And so in Genesis 5, it says that Enoch walked with God faithfully, not for a couple weeks, not for a couple years, not for 25 years. He faithfully walked with God for 300 years. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Faith is sacrificial, and it is steadfast, and it is pleasing to God. Beginning in verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. And so without faith, it is impossible to please God. In James chapter 2, talking about faith, it talks about the fact that our faith without works is dead. You know, count it pure joys when you meet trials of many kinds. If you lack wisdom, let him ask, and God will give him wisdom. And if you move into chapter 2, he specifically tells us that faith without works is dead. Some of you say that you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And so we are dependent on our faith to be in right relationship with God. But that faith then should lead to works. Our faith should lead to a radical obedience for what we would expect to find in our lives. You know, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events as unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he was commended for the word and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You know, Noah is building this ark in the midst of the people around him that are all celebrating and partying and having a great time. And in Luke chapter 17, it records all the people at this time were eating and drinking and making merry, and, and, they're, and they're, all of his friends were having a great time. And, and he steps aside, Noah steps aside to, to build an ark. And I would imagine the, <laughs> the ridicule he, he took while all of his friends were out partying and having a great time and eating and drinking, he builds an ark. And the ridicule that he faced at that time, as you read through scripture, you just get a sense that, that it was something that really was something that God had set him apart for. And, 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 and everything was good until Noah went into the ark, and then the rains came, <laughs> and the world was destroyed. Noah stepped out in faith to build an ark at a point where there were no clouds in the sky, and that was counted to him as righteousness. In verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And so the application for that would be for you today. Hey, where do you work today? If you have a job right now today, I want to encourage you when you go to work Monday, just go to your boss and tell him you quit. 
Tell them that God's leading you to go do something else and see how that fares for you. I remember the first time I went into my boss's office to tell him I was going into ministry. He said, you know, there's, there's no coming back from this, right? I said, well, yeah, that's kind of the point. You know, it takes a radical obedience to step out in faith and go someplace where you're not even sure where you're going. You know, sometimes we don't have all the answers. We don't know where God's going to lead us, but we know that by faith, God will lead us. And that's counted to Abraham as righteousness. You know, leave your job, leave your house, leave your family with no idea where you're going. And when he did that, it was counted to him as righteousness. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was working, he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abraham was a hundred years old. He was as good as dead. And therefore, as a result, I love the word therefore, as a result of his faithfulness, we are counted among the number of those that are going to be saved. We're a part of, we're, we're God's children because of the faithfulness of Abraham. You know, when you read through Hebrews 11, you see a, a genealogy, you see a history of people who are living radical faith. You know, when you look at how that how they're living out their faith. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the convictions of not seen. They received their commendation by the, by the fact that they actually were living it out. In verse 13, all of those died in faith, not having received the promise. Every single one of those people died before they had received the promise having not seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They had received no promise. They were living by faith. In verses 14 and... uh, I got to get to verses 14 and 16 there. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They died in faith not having received their promise... They were strangers and exiles of an earth, and that was their mindset. Their mindset was that this world was not their home. They're strangers and they're exiles. People who speak that way are making it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land from which they had gone out of, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. They all stepped out in faith for a better land. And even though they did not get a chance to see it, their intention was is that there was something better to come. If they had a desire for a better country that is a heavenly one, as a result of their faithfulness, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. If they had been thinking about the land from which they had gone out, they would have wanted to come back, but that's not what they were thinking of. They were able to continue to move forward. How many times have we thought, to ourselves about our history and thought, wow, I wish I could return to a past day, as opposed to thinking about what it means to move forward. I was talking to a, with a friend of mine. Um, I get on Facebook twice a week 
to manage the Springbrook page. I am not a, Spring, I am not a Facebook fan. Every once in a while, I'll get on and I'll connect with somebody from my past. And I had a friend of mine that went to high school. And uh, Ray, if you're watching this morning, I'd love to continue to talk with you. Uh, but he posted a picture of himself uh, went in his football uniform and in his, uh, he played, he was a pitcher in his baseball uniform. And he said, I will give up my future and all of my tomorrows if only I could go back to what I had in the past. And so he was, and the, the dynamic with that was there was something that was so special about his past. He, he, he doesn't have a, a vision or a future for what God has for him moving forward. Without that picture of what God has for us moving forward, without that preferred vision of the future, we get stuck in our past. Many times we get stuck in our past because we don't understand what God has laid up for us in heaven. And that's what the writer is talking about here. If you understand, if you're clear about where you're headed, then that's where your desire is. Then you're able to continue to live by faith, even though you haven't received that promise. It's when we get stuck in our past that we're pulled back and don't experience the joy of the promise that is ours. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. As a result, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This world is not our home. We are here temporarily. Psalm 90, 10, 70, 80 years, maybe 100. I made a joke with somebody the other day about, you know, being halfway up the hill. And they said, oh, you're going to live to be 120. Maybe. (laughs) Not going to live beyond 120. You know, we are here temporarily. We're going to look at this a little bit later in our series. Hebrews says, 13, 14 says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. In John 18, Jesus, talking about the kingdom, says, my kingdom is not of this world. The things that you look around, this world is not what we're talking about. If my kingdom were of this world, my service would be fighting that I might be delivered over to the Jews. You know, if this was the kingdom, Jesus is saying that we would fight to keep me here, but I'm going to a better place. You know, my kingdom is not of this world. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is not in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven, and that's what we look forward to. Faith is the assurance of those things that are hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Faith is sacrificial it is steadfast, and it is focused in seeking after heaven. And so we have a working definition of faith in a sense that it is secure. It's, it's the assurance of things that are hoped for. It's the convictions of, not, of things not seen. We know where we're going. For a believer, for someone that has placed their faith in Christ, that's been sealed with the Holy Spirit, there's an assurance that we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. It's a promise that we have that we will not be fulfilled until that day that we stand before him or until Christ returns. But our eyes are focused on him. It's, it's a faith that is sacrificial. It costs us to follow Christ. It's steadfast in a sense that I will not be moved from it, and it is focused on our heavenly home. You know, beginning with Abel all the way up to Abraham, we have been given some examples of people that lived with radical faith. And then we get some examples after Abraham. 
And so we get a whole list of examples leading up to Abraham from a genealogy perspective, and then it picks up with even more examples. Beginning in verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He offered up his son in faith that God would provide a sacrificial lamb. He offered up his son, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said through Isaac, your offspring will be named. It is considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did raise him back from the dead. He was saved by faith. In verse 20, then Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob's and Esau and his sons. And then verse 21, by faith, Jacob, his sons, when he was designed, uh, dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship um, over the head of, with his head of his staff. By faith, at the end of his life, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. In verse 23, then, by Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because he saw that the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edicts. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be identified with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to his reward. And so as you read through these different passages of Scripture, you get a continuing sense of how the faithfulness of God's people continued to, genealogy-wise, work their way down throughout the generations. The reproach of Christ that Moses had was reflective of the fact that he understood Christology. Jesus Christ wasn't born at the time. You know, Jesus had not yet been born, but he was anticipating a Messiah that would give his life for sins. There, there was an expectation that there, at some point there was going to be a, a permanent sacrificial lamb. And so he considered that sacrificial lamb, that reproach of a Christ, the Messiah, greater wealth than all that could be given to him uh, through, the, through, through Pharaoh. And so it was counted to him as righteousness. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You know, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given freely what was welcome to the spies. From the beginning of time, all the way from Cain and Abel, all the way down through Abraham, and all the way down through his lineage, People have been living by faith. Beginning from time, Cain, Enoch, Noah, Abraham. Then we start over with Abraham, and it works all the way down through Isaac, through Jacob, through, through Joseph, through Moses. People crossed the Red Seas. The walls of Jericho came down, and Rahab the prostitute wasn't destroyed. People have been living by faith throughout history. And so my question for us this morning is, you know, what is our legacy? You know, what did we inherit from our parents? What got passed down to us? And then what are we going to pass down to our children? Or if you don't have kids, how are we going to impact those around us in our workplace, in our neighborhoods? How does our faith impact how we live out our life and influence the people around us? That is our legacy. 
throughout history, people have been living by faith, and we are a people of faith. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what does this look like for us? It starts with Cain, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, works all the way down to Rahab, gets all the way to us today. We have been given an historic list of examples of what it means to have faith and to live by faith, that is sacrificial, that is steadfast, and seeking after heaven. And I love, I love this in verse 32. It says this, what more do I need to say? How many examples do you need of what it means to live by faith? We understand what faith is. He's defined that for us. And then he gave us a generational list of examples. And he says, what more is there for me to say? For time would fail me to tell you of everything that happened after that with Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. There's not enough time for me to give you more and more examples. How many more examples do we need of what it means to live a radical faith? that is sacrificial, that is obedience, that, that is seeking of the kingdom of heaven. What more proof do we need about the importance of living by faith? Verse 32 says, what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell you of these, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign, army, foreign armies to fight, to flight. I mean, they were living by radical obedience. When you read through scripture, how many more examples do you need? And so as we read through Hebrews 11, we, we get an understanding of what faith is, but then we get examples of what it means to live sacrificially and to have steadfast faith and to keep our eyes focused on Christ. You know, beginning in uh, verse 35, it says this, the women received back their dead by the resurrection. And some, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were sacrificially living out their faith. They were steadfast in their faith. Those things didn't cause them to want to return and to renounce their faith. They didn't give up because their picture of their, their preferred vision of the future was such that it motivated them to stand firm. In the midst of their suffering, they kept their faith. They were stoned. They were sawn in, they were sown in, they were, they were sawed in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and misery, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and the mountains and the dens and the caves of the earth. They were living out radical, obedient faith. And it was commended to them as righteousness, even though they did not receive what was promised. Apart from us today and being made perfect, they're, they're, they're waiting for us None of them is going to go to heaven without us. You know, there's a place that, they, they, that they're, we're, we're going to be with them. And in Hebrews 39, 40, all of these, all of these people that we just looked at, all of them were commended through their faith, but did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. All of those people that have gone before us, everyone of faith that has gone before us, is not going to made, be made perfect without us. Christ is going to return. The trumpet is going to blast and all the dead are going to be raised 
and then we who are here are going to be changed, and we are all going to be made perfect at the same time. All those that have gone before us, even though they have not yet received the promise, have the promise of what yet is to come. Apart from us, they have not been made perfect yet. They're not going to experience this new heaven and new earth. When Christ returns, the dead are going to rise first, and then those who are left are going to be caught up with them, and every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord, and, and, and we're going to experience the fulfillment of this promise that is thousands of years old. And then I'm so disappointed for the way that Hebrews 11 ends. Because we get this history about Hebrews 11, and then you move into chapter 12. After all of this in Hebrews 11, we get to chapter 12, which says this. As a result of all these things, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. After all this, after reading this entire list of people that have lived out steadfast, obedient, radical faith. He says this, it's the therefore, remember? Therefore, as a result of everything that you've just read, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us do these things. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated again at the right hand of God. All throughout Hebrews, the writer is encouraging us to keep our eyes focused on him. Remain firm in your faith. You can trust Jesus and everything that he said. These promises are true, and he proved it when he overcame death through the resurrection, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where our hope lies. That's where our faith is. That's where our hope lies. And that's what results in our living out radical faith. Since we're surrounded by this great column of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Our faith is sacrificial. It is steadfast. It seeks after heaven. That's what faith is. We get that definition from Hebrews 1 and 2. In 11, 1 and 2, we get the definition for what faith is. It's sacrificial. It's steadfast. It seeks after heaven. And then we get this list of what it means to live out our faith. Having faith and living it out are two different things completely. Living out our faith means that we need to lay aside the things that weigh us down. We need to lay aside the things that weigh us down, and we need to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us and snares us and holds us back. We need to run with endurance the race that is laid before us, and we need to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so how do we lay aside those things that weigh us down? What weighs you down? What is keeping you from experiencing more of the joy and the satisfaction of the promises of God? What holds you back from experiencing more of what God has for you in your life? I can't answer that question. Each one of us needs to think about the reality of what is faith. We know that it is sacrificial. We know that it is steadfast. We know 
that we need to keep our eyes focused on heaven. But then we need to ask ourselves, what is holding us back from experiencing more of the joy that comes from having a relationship with Christ? It's something to be excited about. When we picture what heaven's going to be like, that should motivate us to finish well, to run this race with endurance. I had a conversation with a good friend last week who was, we, we got to spend some time about his health and kind of where he was and we got to talk about a picture of heaven and I just asked him, I said, what do you think heaven looks like? And he's like, that's a great question. You know, we can endure when we understand there's something better coming for us. You know, right before my mom went to be with the Lord, we spent a lot of time talking about heaven. It was encouraging for her, it was encouraging for me, knowing that my mom is going to be going into God's presence. I miss her. And so I miss those that I've lost, but it brings me joy and comfort and encouragement knowing that they are in a better place. The Bible promises us that. And that's where our joy is, and that's how we live out our faith. And those are the kind of, that promise and that vision for the future is what enables us to get through all the junk that we're having to put up with today. I'm not, I'm not discouraged when I look around what happens out there in the world. It's not discouraging. I know this world's fallen and broken. I know bad stuff's going to happen. Now, I have a role in that, and we need to work together to encourage one another, but I can endure those things because I know that this world is not my home. I want to make my home a better place. I want to do my role and play my part to make sure that where I am right now is a better place, but in the end, this is not my home. I'm going to spend eternity in heaven, and so we have a preferred vision of the future. We should have, but there's things that hold us back. What holds us back? politics, health, our jobs, you know, our calendars. I'm too busy. I mean, think about some of the things that hold us back from experiencing more of the power and presence of Christ in our life. If you're reading through uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, that was chair two of our discipleship pathway. We talked about the importance of being connected vertically to a relationship with Christ and horizontally to one another. It's important, you know, we're members of one another. We need to encourage one another. And God's got a design for us in, in being connected. Then we need to grow in our faith. And that growing in our faith is, it's going to the gym, it's the exercising, it's disciplines. Donald Whitney identifies uh, 12 spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. These are things that if, if you want to grow in your faith, they would really be good for you to do. <laughs> Reading the Bible is a good thing to do. Meditating on scripture is a good thing to do. Praying is a good thing to do. Worship, evangelism, sharing your faith, serving. We've all, we serve one another. We have spiritual gifts, stewardship. Everything that we've been given, God's entrusted to our care, and we use those for his glory and to build up the body of Christ. Fasting, solitude, journaling, learning, and persevering in faith. Donald Whitney identifies these 12. As if you work through these things, you should experience some level of spiritual growth. And so what's holding us back from being able to do these things? I don't know what it's like in, in your calendar. My calendar gets full really quick. How about yours? Our calendars get so filled up that they hold us back from experiencing more of what God has for us. If I knew that I had an opportunity to help somebody to understand how to have a relationship with Christ, that they would spend eternity in heaven just by virtue of the fact that I'm sharing my faith or enjoying a conversation with them, what's more important than that? You know, what's more important than our opportunity to spend time with our kids, helping them to understand the Bible, how to read the Bible? What do we model for our children? What's our legacy that we're passing down? And dads, men, you are the leaders of your family. So goes the leader, so goes the team. It is a God-given responsibility that we have to lead our families well. What do our kids see in our lives? What are we modeling for them? What are we going to pass down? What was passed down for us? 
So when you look at your genealogy and what was modeled for you, you know, is it an opportunity for you to say, hey, I need to do something different or I want to continue to do what I've been doing, but, but we need to lead our families. We need to lead people in our workplaces. We need to lead those around us that can understand the fullness of where our faith lies. And I'm a, it's a challenge for men today. It's Father's Day, but it goes for the ladies as well. This is something that we should all be doing as, as believers. We should be living out our faith in a way that others are compelled to want to know more. We're living out our faith in a sense that they are in awe of what we have and they should be drawn to it. But there are things that hold us back. There are things that hold us back from experiencing that. And so the author is writing us, don't get weighed down. Don't let these things keep you from experiencing more of what God has for you. And this is a, this is a good list for you to think through as you think about things that weigh you down. And so I would encourage you, if you want a copy of uh, the uh, book, Donald Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, are out there at the bookstore. We've got that Slack group of people that are reading the book together. And, and I'm not quite sure how many of you are on those, uh, on those Slack channels. Let me just say this. There's 100 people that signed up for the journey, the, the encountering journey at the beginning of the year. I'm not quite sure where everybody's at. We've got a couple of monthly gatherings and some people have posted some updates. I'd really be curious if you've finished reading the book that you started out at the beginning of the year. We started out at the beginning of the year saying, hey, pick up, pick up some resources that will help you grow in your faith. And June is almost over. <laughs> this year is halfway over. It, it seems so weird to me. to be. I can remember, it seems like yesterday I was saying, hey, 2022 is going to be a good year. Let's, let's do this together. We are halfway through it. And you know what's going to happen in 2023? You know what you're going to hear? The same thing. <laughs> How did it go for you last year? And what are you going to do differently this year? You know why? Because spiritual growth is a process. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We should be growing in our faith. If you're sitting in this chair one year from now, and you're in the exact same space that you are today, then we've done something wrong. We need to be growing and encouraging one another in our faith. And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. How do we encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching to grow in our faith? And so we need to lay the things aside that hinder us. And then we need to lay sin aside that hinders us. You know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins that cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are cleansed when we confess our sin. And if we say we haven't sinned, then we're liars. All of us have things that entangle us, things that trip us up, whether we're, whether in the grocery line, whatever magazine, or our cell phones, or, you know, Pastor Matt was had taught recently about the things that ensnare our kids. Cell phones are, are a danger to our kids. And so what are we doing to help them to understand, hey, there is things that are not of God's design. That God's got a design for us. And when we do things that are contrary to that, the Bible calls that sin. And we all have it. And so we need to lay aside those things that entangle us. We need to lay aside our sin, and we need to run the race with endurance. And that's what we're to encourage one another to do. If you've never had an opportunity to confess your faith in Christ, it starts with that. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. And so we have a moment that we understand our sin separates us from God. We have a moment for which we understand Christ to pay the penalty for that sin. The Holy Spirit enters in us and we become new creatures. And we start living out on our faith in a way that our faith is radically different than what our lives looked like before. We can't pray a prayer on Monday and then Tuesday go back to the way that we were living our life. There should be something different about who we are. And if you've prayed that prayer and you've made that confession, it's an opportunity for us to step back and think about, well, how am I growing today? Because until that day that the Lord calls me home, until that day I go to stand before him, 
I should be growing in my faith. And we need to encourage one another all the more as we see that day approaching. When I look around, sometimes I'm not easily blown around by what's going on around me. Sometimes I'll look out there. I remember my grandma saying, oh, it's getting bad. It's getting bad. And I was like, grandma, it's not that bad. And I can remember my kid, I'm telling my kids now, it's getting really bad. And they're all looking at me like, that's not that bad. <laughs> Did you know you could boil a frog to death? You can put a frog in a pan of water and you can boil it and boil it and boil it and then it will just die because it's constantly adjusting to its environment until ultimately it kills itself, until it's dead. And, and I look around sometimes, I think, wow, am I like that frog? Am I being boiled? Should I be, you know, should I be concerned about that? And then I get blown around a little bit and then I stop and I think, you know what? This world's not my home. That's really not what I'm, there's some things that I should do. There's things that I need to speak out against. There's some things that the Bible are very clear with regard to how we're to live our lives. I have to preach truth, but at the end of the day, everybody's responsible for themselves. <laughs> this world's fallen and broken. Where is our hope? And how do we encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching? You know, at the beginning of our service, I invited you to, uh, to join us on Version. I posted a, uh, a devotion each week. I'm going to be posting a, a devotion that you can read through that will tie it to either the message or maybe to one of the um, you know, steps on our pathway. And so each week we'll be updating a reading plan that we can do together. And so if you go to the Uversion Bible app, you can uh, follow Springbrook Church. And when you follow that, you'll have an invitation to join us for the next five days. I'm inviting everybody to read through Hebrews chapter 11 together. So it's a five-day devotional as we read through Hebrews chapter 11. Next week we'll post another devotional that will tie to the next week's message and so on and so on. And so this is a great way for us to be in community together as we're reading the Bible together, as we're studying Scripture together, and we're encouraging one another. I want to make sure that as people who call Springbrook Church their home think about where they are in their faith, that they are experiencing spiritual growth. If you feel like you're stuck or you feel like you're not growing, you're trying to figure out how to experience more of the power and presence of God in your life, we want to talk with you. That's why we exist we want to help people to grow in their faith. We want to make disciples who are then making other disciples. That's what we exist for, the glory of God, and to help others to be able to live out their faith in a way that others are drawn to it. That's my prayer for us as we continue through our book of Hebrews series. We have a couple more weeks. Uh, they going to take us up to July. I'm looking forward to working through the book of Hebrews. It's a great book. So if you've never had an opportunity to read through it, I encourage you. It would be a great thing to read during the summer, but at a minimum, uh, join us on the Version Bible app. Let's read through Hebrews 11. Uh, together and let's pray together uh, for what God has for us as we move through this summer uh, into the balance of this year. Thanks for being with us this morning. Would you pray with me? Hey, Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us. Uh, God, thank you for the faithfulness of those that have gone before us. Thank you for the faithfulness of the men that have gone before me, for, for those that have invested in me personally, who encouraged me in my journey and who have helped me grow. I'm so grateful uh, for our elder board, for our staff, and for the leaders of Springbrook as we sharpen and encourage one another. Uh, God, I'm thankful for this body of Christ that we can uh, encourage one another in this way. I thank you for this day you've given us today. And God, we lift it up to you. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Thank you for the love that you have for us, that you've extended to us through the gift of your Son. Uh, God, continue to draw us closer to yourself that we might experience more of what you have for us individually and collectively as a church. And God, we commit this day to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's rise one more time in body or in spirit and respond together to the word we've received this morning.
you so much for spending this time coming before the Lord in worship with us this morning. We pray now that you would go in peace and faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed, blessed week in him. Be well, and we will see you next Sunday. Midnight, he's staring at the bills and rubbing red Ain't adding up to nothing but some hard times. He's feeling like a f-